Hello there. You are listening to K is for Kinky. We're your friendly neighborhood kinksters, Jen and Eden. And today we're going to be talking about identifiers. What is that voice you're doing? This is my intro voice. Um, thank you for asking. I'm glad that you noticed. I've been working on my intro voice for a while. I want our podcast to sound very professional. WKRB. Work your kinks through me. Are we not doing Are we not doing call and response? <clears throat> no. Hello and welcome to the Case for Kinky podcast. This podcast discusses adult topics, so if you are offended by adult topics or are under the age of 18, please stop listening now. Also, while Miss Jen is a therapist, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not to be taken as personal therapy for you. She is not your therapist. And if she is your therapist, just remember that what she says only technically counts in your private sessions. You know, you can choose to be part of the opening. You don't you have said to you were doing the opening. I'm letting you do the opening. All right, then. Hi, Eden. Hi, Miss Jen. <laughs> what are we talking about today? As mentioned in the opening, we're going to be discussing identifiers i'm gonna add a little sparkle fyi sound. she just said that with spirit fingers yeah now because our, our our first episode of the month um was all about like randomly assigning identifiers and roles to like characters and i thought it was just uh the moral correct thing to do to actually have a more serious conversation about identifiers and by more serious i simply mean slightly more serious slightly more serious really serious yeah but like with less levity like actually like maybe kind of dispelling some of the stereotypes because basically in order to do the episode we just did we had to rely on sort of stereotypes or like headcanons or like our own interpretations of characters if you're if you didn't listen to it we basically took a few older older tv shows Right. Oh, I mean, Young Sheldon's happening right now. Oh, yeah, that's true. So we took a few TV shows that we've both seen, at least some of, and assigned kink identifiers to some of the characters. Yeah. So, like, we covered Friends, Will and Grace, um, Young Sheldon. We did some Disney characters just for the fucking hell of it. Um, If you fucking loved it, let us know because we would really enjoy doing it again with different sets of characters. But the point is, the only way to be able to play that game is in some ways to lean into stereotypes. So um, today we're going to be talking about some BDSM roles and identifiers, and we're going to sort of reflect on stereotypes versus... um, things we've actually really experienced with these roles are basically the reality. Uh-huh. <laughs> what? Why are you looking at me? <laughs> Before we get started, a major change um, has been a brewin on our Discord server and on our Patreon. We are growing as a brand. We are so excited and so grateful to all of our fans and all of our all, all of our kinklings. Um, Sorry. Just what like, is it? We're a grower, not a shower. <laughs> <sighs> you know... Sometimes it's hard in the mornings. We wake up and we're cranky, and then we just turn I'm on the only mics. Halfway through my coffee, we turn on the mics. Oh, my coffee! Pass me my coffee. Um, we turn on the mics, and yes. she just comes out. Please, Miss Jen, thank you. I appreciate you, my dominant. Um, she comes out with things like grower and shower just <laughs> randomly. Um, so it's just really, it's really delightful to see her come to life on the podcast. <laughs> Um, anyways, we've been growing our brand and we have new things to show you. Our yeah, Patre- we completely revamped our Patreon and our Discord. Yeah, so we do have new tiers. Um, you can become a patron for only $1 a month now, which is really exciting. Um, and we also wanted to make sure that we have uh, lots of cool perks that we're actually able to deliver. So if you're curious about that, check out our Patreon. Um, and our Discord server is also continuing to be awesome. One of the rewards and the perks that we're mentioning um, is a shout-out. So for everybody who hits certain t- – or oh, my God, help me – um, for the connected kinkling <laughs> tier and above, you get a shout out. So today we're gonna rec- rec- ref- <laughs> today we're gonna <laughs> you're like a scratching record. I'm like a remix <laughs> today on this remixed episode. We're gonna go ahead and shout out four of our new patrons or our patrons who've been there for a long time and have been patiently waiting for their shout outs. <laughs> So um, we'll go back and forth. I'll r- 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 start, and Miss Jen will r- 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 finish. Oh man, Ariel, thank you. <laughs> Tussled, thank you. Scratch, 
say thank you to Scratch. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. I thought you were saying thank you to me. No, to the people. <laughs> oh, my God. We did clearly not rehearse this. Uh, you, Greg. Greg. Thank you. And those are the four. And a constant shout out to well, Pudding. To Pudding. Pudding gets a shout out every episode because you know what? Pudding is on the highest tier. What's this highest tier? If For 20 20- Yeah, anybody who's on the highest tier gets a shout out every single time. If you are a Call Me Kinkling, which is our highest tier, not only do you get to talk to us three times a year on Zoom, you also get a, a constant shout out every single episode. Yeah, like the Zoom thing is like one-on-one. And normally in, in my profession, I would charge money for that. So. Well, we are charging money for that. Well, I would be charging a lot more money for that. There you go. <laughs> so thank you so much, Pudding, for being a Call Me Kinkling. We really appreciate your support. And we appreciate the support of all of our patrons and the support of people who are not yet patrons. Because you're still Kinklings to us. If you're listening, you count. And we care about you. Yes. Wow. This was a very long ad. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, thank you all. We're going to go ahead and get on with the episode now. Yeah, more shout outs next episode. Here on Caves for Kinky. Okay, so let's go ahead and start. I'm going to say an identifier and we're going to reflect on stereotypes we know about the identifier and then we will correct the stereotypes or discuss them. Let's go ahead and get started. I'm pulling all of these off of FetLife. Um, Today we're heavily relying on what FetLife thinks are uh, worthy identifiers um, obviously, by the way, on the FetLife list, while there are a million identifiers, there are many that are missing for people. Um, so we may throw in some missing ones at the very end if we don't feel like they're covered. If you don't hear your identifier and you want to hear us discuss it, send us a message on Discord, send us an email, send us snail mail, do whatever you got to do to get a hold of us and let us know because we would be very curious to discuss or learn about new identifiers. Um, identifier number one dominant is that really where we're starting that is literally where we're starting um dominant stereotypes mm. oh, Over- stereotypes yeah overly assertive <laughs> um very hyper muscular or like hyper like oh here's a stereotype male yeah male Be- cis male cis male being a douche <laughs> being a douche um expecting alpha male expecting everybody around you to serve you Calling everybody by like pet names or like expecting them to use your, yeah, expecting them to use your honorific automatically and insisting upon it everywhere you go. That's like a D type stereotype. You said douche. <laughs> the douche is just an umbrella category. I'm getting more specific under the douche. Um, I would also say from like positive stereotypes. Oh, stereotype has their shit together. Yeah. Well, and that's like a positive stereotype. So like I actually have an expectation and hope that dominants have their shit together. No, um, I know. But the stereotype is that, oh, they must have their shit together yeah, if they're that a dominant. Is, but it is a positive stereotype that can cause damage. You we'll talk about true. that. Um, another one is that D-types are experienced. Um, I, there's a stereotype they must be experienced. Um, D-types should already know how to do relationships and should already know how to do DS. Um D-types are often expected. There's a stereotype. Not that D-types. They... Dominance. Dominance. Sorry. Sorry. Dominance <laughs> are basically like expected from a stereotype standpoint to like be able to control and help navigate and steer um, whoever they're paired with. So like, you know, and then dominance, I think also like there is this idea that dominance are like sadistic. Um, like when you hear dominance, you assume they're sadists. And that's not really actually always true. Um, those are just some of the stereotypes for dominance. Um, we can probably apply the same stereotypes to master, but there's a lot of identifiers. I know. And we're going to go through every single one. Um, so those are some of the stereotypes for dominant. Um, we're going to go ahead and break that down really quickly. So in reality, dominants come in all shapes, sizes, and forms. Not all dominants are immediately assertive, loud, or abrasive. Some dominants are very quiet. Um, I've met dominants who you wouldn't know it. Until they tell you, like, this is how I identify and this is what I do. And I've also met dominants who are obviously dominant with their partner, but not with anybody else. Wait, are we going through subcategories like soft dom, pleasure dom? Oh, I see. I thought we were going through, like, all the things. We're going through what's ever on FetLife. Oh, okay. So I don't know what they have. I can't see your computer from here. (laughs) To assume that there are personality traits that are automatically assigned to all dominants um, is 
really not correct. And it can be a harmful stereotype because it can make dominants who aren't that way feel lesser. Um, But it can also incorrectly attribute certain abrasive toxic traits to dominance. So like I would argue that people who go and walk around and like are alpha mailing and like being really um, aggressive, not assertive, or who are just kind of rude, some people might think that's a dominant behavior because it's a loud behavior and it doesn't actually, in my opinion, match what dominance is. Um, Do you want to speak to some of this? Sure. As As a dominant? dominant? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I usually have much more respect for dominants who have what I call quiet dominance. Um, they don't feel the need to have to prove themselves. They don't have to puff out their chest or peacock, if you will. Um, and I think that those traits, even though the stereotype is the opposite, I think those traits to me are more dominant. It's kind of like saying, um, you know, the stereotype is that if you cry or share your feelings you're weak and in uh, on the other side of that it's really that if you're able to do that it's a strength right so to be able to sit in your dominance in a relaxed way with confidence because I think that's really where it comes from all the is really just from insecurity usually um unless it's just you know in a scene or for fun or you know what I mean but like people that walk around with that I think usually comes from some kind of insecurity um, whether it's because they're new and they're trying to wear the role like a coat um, or if they just feel like they have to prove it but I think that quiet confidence is really to me what demonstrates somebody secure in their dominance and um, yeah it's the stereotype is definitely harmful because, you know, new people will come in thinking that they see the stereotype, thinking that that's what it's supposed to be. Um, They'll accept poor treatment from somebody who's actually being abusive, thinking that's dominance. Right. Because that's what's portrayed. As an S-type and a switch and a top, so all of the things, but as somebody who spent a lot of time as an S-type and who has clocked a lot of hours with my D-type in a 24-7 – Um, that has fluctuated and grown and changed over time. I want to talk a little bit about the positive stereotype of D-types always have their shit together. D-types always know. D-types are always experienced. um, And D-types are supposed to always be prepared. Because even though these are, I think sometimes they're like good goals to have, it can be very harmful if you are an S-type and you don't understand or like you don't allow for your dominant to not know what's going on. And like, while again, the goal should be for the dominant to have their shit together, no human on earth 100% of the time does. Nobody is always prepared. Sometimes dominants are scared. Sometimes dominants don't know. Sometimes they're hurt. Sometimes they, they have toxic traits that they're undoing. Sometimes they have to fight their own demons and their own relationship patterns. We have different definitions of have your shit together, but okay, keep going. <laughs> um, so, but I'm saying like, Sometimes S-types or, like, people have unrealistic expectations of perfection from D-types. And sometimes D-types have unrealistic unrealistic expectations of themselves. And I see a lot of D-types self-punishing or being unwilling to admit when they fall short because they're so afraid of not being perfect or so afraid of failure. They won't say, I actually messed that up and I'm human and I need to work on that. And, like, to me... What's most healthy and goes kind of against the stereotype are D-types who are very aware that they're flawed, very aware of what work they still have to do on themselves, and very willing to admit that and willing to come to the S-type or whoever's around them and say, I need help or I'm, I'm messing this up or I'm having a hard time or, you know, I think that to me, dominance is understanding not just dominance, like just being a, honestly, being an evolved human is understanding where you're, where, where you're not strong. Um, But I think D-types, that idea that these types are always strong, like that stereotype, it makes it hard for D-types or dominance, sorry, fuck, it makes it hard for dominance to be willing to admit when they feel weak. I also want to make sure that we point out that we're not talking about tops. Like a lot of people will say like, you're dominating me in the scene, which essentially is topping. And so I want to kind of separate those two things. We're talking about dominance outside of just play in terms of power exchange yeah. in relationships. Um, yeah. When, when I think of have your shit together, 
I have a much lower bar that I'm talking about. I'm not really talking about like how you are evolved as a human. I'm talking about like, do you have your life together enough to be able to help and guide another person's life? Like, are you independent? Do you have a job? Do you, can, do you have transportation of some kind? Do you, you know what I mean? Like, do you have your life together, your shit together in enough of a way that you aren't constantly struggling so that you can pay attention to another person? I mean, that's a bare minimum. Um, no, I know, I, but, and I, I, I don't want to, cause I get like, sometimes people don't have a job because they're looking for a job or they're between jobs, whatever. I just don't want to come down on people. Like if you don't have a job, if you don't have a J O B, right? Like well, I'm not saying stereotype that, but too. it's, but it's also like, are you working on it? Like, are you taking control of your own life enough that you're ready to take control of somebody else's essentially? Well, and this is again, like specifically talking about dominance like even what we're discussing right now and our interpretations our feelings of these stereotypes like even what we're reflecting on is based on our personal opinion about this word you may feel differently but i think the idea is just that there's a lot of pressure on dominance as you can hear to have their physical shit together and i also walked into the scene assuming the d-types have their emotional baggage together and that's not always the case because when you get down to like the heart of a relationship or the nuance everybody's baggage gets put on the table. Nobody gets to pretend they don't have the baggage and everybody has to do the work. And that includes the, the dominant, you know, so it's pretty interesting, but um, basically dominants are humans. And that would be my response to a lot of these stereotypes is that humans come in all different flavors and all. Oh, that sounds very <laughs> Hannibal lecter <laughs> Well, oh, come on. You know, I hate it when you do that. I know. So I had to take advantage of that. Moment. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> Dominance are as varied as humans can be. And while I have expectations or hopes for dominance, and I certainly have expectations for people who want to be in a relationship with me where they are holding some sort of dominance over me, um, that might not be the case for everybody. So the, the bar moves around and there, you know, there's a lot of ways to be a dominant. Um, let's move on to the next identifier on FetLife. The next one is Dame or Dami, or Dom. We're only going to talk very briefly Wait, about this. why are we separating these? Dominant um, covered We're that. just going to quickly talk about the stereotypes oh really God. fast. Um, for Dame, Miss um, Jen, I, I, okay. There's so, no stereotype for this different. Dame, which is just Dom, is just indicating in written form that it's somebody who identifies as a woman. Or maybe somebody who is femme. I would actually say that dame is a word that like people automatically see that and like they assume for a stereotype standpoint, it must be a female dom. Um, It actually might not be. It might be somebody who is just preferring that word because it highlights like femininity in their spirit. Maybe they're they're gender fluid or however they want to be. But also Miss Jen has the stereotype of if you're doing this, you're a little bit of an abrasive person and you're a little bit extra. No, not abrasive. It's just. It's a little extra. People don't understand that it's pronounced dom. It's the same thing as dominant. Dominant is a gender, uh, is a non-gendered term. Well, and that's actually part of why I wanted to bring this up and just to get Miss Jen's little like soapbox that's back why on. The, that's why the stereotype was that dominant meant male because the reality is it's not. Yeah. It's so not gender specific. The stereotype of dame or dami or however you want to say or dom. Dami, you don't pronounce it. Really? That came from, <laughs> that came from the munch. <laughs> Thank you. The stereotype of this um, is that there is a need to indicate when you're a female dom. And the counter to that would be there's no need. Um, There also, the stereotype is it's always somebody who is female identifying. That might not actually be the case. Moving on to the next identifier on FetLife, submissive. (laughs) Ms. Jen really hates the word dame. Um, Submissive. Okay. Um, I spend so much time in my S-type support group that I run called the S-word. It's for free. And it meets once a month. Check it out on FetLife. You know you can find it. The free S-word. Plug. Free plug. Um, but we spend an exorbitant amount of oh, time. Well, wait, I didn't plug my dominant support group. <laughs> it's called View from the Top. And it's also once a month on the first Monday night. There you go. There we go. Um, and these are all on Zoom. They're all available on <laughs> yes. Zoom. So um, for submissives, we spend a ridiculous amount of time in the group that I run talking about stereotypes for submissives. I want to list a couple um, right off the bat. Um, the stereotype for submissives is that they are submissive in personality trait. 
that submissives don't know how to do things or need help or need guidance in order to be able to do things. Doormat. Um, that they're doormats, that submissives um, are there to serve the dominant, that submissives' needs aren't as important, that submissives are naturally meek. Um, what else? I mean, I don't know that submissives can't make decisions. They need a dominant there to help them make decisions. Um, these are some of the most common and some common and some of the most detrimental um, things that people say or believe about submissives. Um, also, honestly, walking around the world identifying as a submissive or like being seen as one, people almost treat you like you have a target on your back. Submissives are to be acquired. Another big one that I see that's like, I know this is weird to bring up, but like I see a lot of D-types who have this ideal in their mind that they're going to be able to be polyamorous themselves, but all of the submissives in service to them or attached to them are not allowed to have other partners. I see that. with OPP. Yeah. I see that a lot where like (laughs) D-types assume that they have more rights or should have more human rights or more um, freedom than submissives. And also just that submissives don't want freedom. They don't want to have a voice. They they need, you know, to be coddled or they need to get this X, Y, or Z. Like there's Well and I wanna make sure that we point out that there is a different difference between the the word that we're using need versus want. Because some of the things that you're listing, a submissive may want some of those things. And that's okay as long as it's negotiated and consensual. And, yeah. Yeah. But this, this stereotype is basically that submissives. That they, need it, that they don't, yeah. can't live without or whatever. That submissives are spineless and inexperienced. Um, or again, they don't, they don't have needs or wants or that even if they do, they don't matter. Um, and unfortunately, there isn't a, a unfortunately large amount of submissives I've spoken to who have been treated very abusively in the scene and by D types of all different orientations, I think as a result of some of these stereotypes. Um, So let's dive into this. What's the reality with submissives here? I wanted to say that I would hold the same standard to submissives that they should also have their shit together. (laughs) I actually agree. In the way, especially in the way that I mentioned. (laughs) So I often talk about, in fact, in the previous episode, I talked about how there are certain characters that I disqualify from being able to be dominance because they didn't have their shit together. And that would imply that S types don't have to have it together. And that's not what I meant by the comments. Um, what I mean is that for me personally, I believe the D types automatically have to meet a certain standard to be able to uh, be effective as D types. S types don't necessarily always come into the scene with their shit together. And part of being a submissive specifically is being willing to say I'm willing to be led I know I have things to learn I'm identifying that I want to be led by you I'm here to learn that's a pretty normal place to be as a submissive so I think because that is so common there is this this idea that submissives don't have their shit together that they can't and that they are inherently weak or like ill-equipped and that's not really true and just because there are submissives who want like guidance or who want to learn who know they have places to grow it doesn't mean that submissives shouldn't be gaining skills or that there aren't submissives out there who come in with a shit ton of them also just kind of bouncing back to dominance in terms of the stereotype that that doms find submissives who need all that help or whatever like to me a good dominant is willing to look what is in their submissives best interest and help them grow if they come to them with like in the beginning of the relationship without certain skills or without certain confidences, that part of it is for the dominant to make sure that, you know, at the very bare minimum, if something were to happen to the dominant, that the submissive has the life skills and agency to be self-sufficient. I mean, I agree. I believe that in a healthy DS relationship, um, the submissive should go out of the relationship or move through the relationship getting stronger stronger and stronger if you're in a relationship with somebody who is trying to keep you small or keep you inexperienced or keep you feeling weak that's really really toxic and not healthy um but yeah submissives actually in my opinion should be actively working on themselves constantly whether they're in a dynamic or not um submissives may enter into a dynamic and know they have things to work on or like feel inexperienced but they should also be able to understand that they themselves have the responsibility to grow as people, regardless of the dominant. Um, 
Yeah, the Dom should help support, but they are not 100% responsible for the no. S-type or for the sub's yeah. growth. I think it's a very, very toxic stereotype that actually creates toxic, abusive, or codependent dynamics where the S-type comes in going, I can't, but you can. You help me because I can't. And the D-type that matches with that toxic trait, it's the one that goes, I can save you. I can fix it. I'm going to be everything for you. Codependency. It, it creates codependency. And while it might be comforting or like very romantic for some people to enter into codependent relationships like that, it is ultimately very toxic because it creates two people who don't know how to exist away from each other. And it can increase the, the submissive's feeling. It can increase the submissive's feeling that they can't. Um, so... For submissives, though, what I've actually found in the scene, which, in, which is interesting, is that many dominants are looking for experienced submissives. Many dominants have requirements for submissives who are um, petitioning to be their submissive. That happens a lot. Like, submissives are actually held to very high standards. Um, and I, I just think as people in general, we should always be holding ourselves to the standard of growth, no matter how we identify. Um, other things about these stereotypes that I take great issue with are these these notions that S-types and submissive specifically are submissive in personality trait. I fight this stereotype in myself a lot because sometimes I misspeak and I reveal that I'm still fighting that stereotype in myself. I'm still identifying aspects of my personality that I feel are or are not matching that stereotype and I'm either taking pride in the things that don't match or I'm afraid of the things that do. The reality is there's nothing wrong with being meek. There's nothing wrong with being quiet. There's nothing wrong with having traditionally submissive like personality traits, but it's not a requirement for being a submissive. And quite frankly, it's not even the norm. Many submissives that I meet are very vocal, very assertive, very capable, um, and very spicy personalities. This one's spicy. This one's spicy. Um, you know, so the other thing too, a, a submissive who's a doormat, that's terrifying to me. That's not a submissive. That's a person who is not confident in themselves and who is likely to be taken advantage of and worse, likely to consent or say yes to things they don't really want. Um, and as a top, if I was being paired with somebody who was a doormat and wouldn't speak for themselves, that would be a red flag for me. And we aren't speaking to those who have chosen that as a role, if they've chosen objectification, yeah. if they've chosen like that kind of stuff where it is consensual and with informed consent, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about being a doormat in a way that is being taken advantage of in a non-informed consensual way. Um, I also think that while submissives may be seeking dominance because they want to not be in control or they want to be led or they see somebody else who can match where they are and even exceed it, that doesn't necessarily mean that the submissive doesn't know how to do things for themselves or they can't. Um, it just means that they're bettering themselves. And honestly, that's a trait that dominance should also have. Dominance, I feel, should be seeking submissives that can bring out the best in the dominant. Um, it really should ideally be, in my opinion... A team. The next identifier is master. That's what I was saying earlier. Like I feel like it's the same stereotypes as dominant as I think the, the whole only... like male blah blah blah. Even though again, master is can be gender neutral. Well, first of all, for me, master has different stereotypes only because they're even more extreme. The stereotypes when I hear master and someone calls themselves a master, my assumption, which is almost never correct. <laughs> and I'm trying to fix this assumption because of that, is that they are ex very experienced, that they have mastered something, that they probably are in the leather community, and that they've literally earned that title. Yeah, um, that's true. There's also an <laughs> assumption that they're into total power exchange and that they have a slave. When I hear master or mistress, I assume they're paired with a slave. I assume it's the most extreme... Um, not I assume, but I mean like the stereotype in my brain and that I've heard is that they're in the, into the most extreme forms of power exchange. Um, and usually when I see somebody calling themselves a master, um, other stereotypes that I've learned and picked up over time are actually that usually they're not deserving of the title. That is something that happens a lot the where I see... is that you can hold them to a higher standard. But the very rarely... is that anybody can call themselves anything. So even though the expectation or hope may have set the initial stereotype and that many people come in with that stereotype of like, oh, they must actually know what they're doing, the learned stereotype for people who call themselves masters is, oh yeah, of what? 
or as Miss Jen says, masturbator. Like those are some of the stereotypes that pop into my head that I've I picked it up over the time in the scene because I've actually seen the stereotype be turned on its head. I also assume that if somebody's a master, they are into high protocol and that they expect to have their honorifics always be used. Um, I don't. I'm saying I assume, so I need to reword this. This is the stereotypes that you. Yeah, the that stereotypes that I've experienced have been that they are typically more into high protocol. Um, and they're more likely usually to be older, too. When I see somebody calling themselves a master, in my brain, when I hear the word master, I'm thinking of somebody in, like, their 50s. Well, that's where when I see, like, the 18-year-old master, that's where my masturbator comes up. Because I'm like, no. Yeah. I don't know of any 18-year-old These are just that some... could qualify. I'm just going to say, I'm going to throw down. Anybody who wants to challenge me, feel free. You, you're, you're, you're 18. Saying... You ain't a master. <laughs> um, so for all of these stereotypes for masters, in reality, um, masters may or may not be part of the leather community. They may or may not be old. You could get an 18-year-old master. You could get a 20-year-old master. You could get a 40-year-old master. Um, they may be incredibly kind and not interested in high protocol with anybody except for the person they're in a dynamic with. Um, they may be approachable. They may not be approachable. They may be a douche. They may not be a douche. It, it's the same as for any other identifier. Lots of different people go by the word master. Um, there are hopes that masters are experienced and have earned that title, but just like with any other identifier, there's no actual barrier for entry. And, you know, there might be people who don't identify or use the title of master who would on paper absolutely qualify to, right? I mean, that's kind of the point of, you know, if you've earned the title master, like let's say somebody has actually earned that title. Like through leather, you mean? Sure. And... They decide, okay, I've earned this title, but I'm not comfortable being called that. I would much rather be called a dom. Well, they're a fucking master. Call them whatever they want to be called. Like, is it, doesn't it go against the idea of being a master if you're like, yeah, but you know what? I'm going to call you master even though you don't like it. That's not very, (laughs) like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Well, so those are some of the stereotypes. We're going to move on to mistress. Mistress has... (laughs) if anything, more stereotypes only because the word mistress is one of the most heavily whispered, hot and heavy words in the vanilla world ever. Um, Yes, mistress. Well, and the stereotype too, mistress in the vanilla world is that it's your side piece that's a secret. Yeah. By the way, I was actually reading a post, somebody talking about a side piece for a mistress. It was on a vanilla account. And I'm like, that person had a mistress? And it was actually like being used in the vanilla sense and my brain yeah. is so like, hardwired oh, the for governor's me to... married and has a mistress yeah. that just came out after 20 years my like... my brain is so now hardwired for bdsm yeah that i forget I... that that's a vanilla thing yeah but so like stereotypes for mistresses um cold removed from people that they're interacting with including their s-types Ooh, interested always in slaves. wearing fetish gear always wearing fetish gear <laughs> like always wearing seven always wearing heels always in heels um they want your money but they don't want to kiss you on the mouth. Well, um, and we're talking about, I mean, that's like ser- pro. Stereotypes. Usually the stereotype is that they're a pro. They're a mistress as well. That They accept money. That's the stereotype. Mm. When a vanilla person or anybody new to the scene hears mistress, that's what they think. Also, ready to be oh, in charge. I usually of me. think of when they hear dominatrix. Well, yeah, well would, that who yeah. is another one. Um, but yeah, so mistress, use all those things, right? I think also mistresses, like this idea of a mistress, um, there's that total power exchange assumption that many people will make. There's the assumption that they, of course, have slaves. Um, and quite frankly, even in my own brain, when I hear of stereotypes for this, I think of them. I am a queer womanish person. <laughs> and I, I love the word mistress. And like I think it's sexy and I love that dynamic. But yet my default in my brain when I hear the word mistress is a woman with a man kneeling at her feet. Well, I think most stereotypes across the board, whether it's master, mistress, like um, any of those things, unless you are heavily in the gay scene, it's automatically a stereotype of heteronormativity. The other thing I'd say when I hear the word mistress is that I feel it's been very sexualized. So like unlike with the word master, where like the word master isn't inherently sexualized for everybody in stereotypes, the word mistress, because there is femininity associated with this like identifier i feel automatically society has just put ridiculous amounts of sexual expectation and pressure so not only when you hear mistress do you think oh she must be into impact she must be good at all of these things she must be a dreamboat she must be cold and arrogant and indifferent and oh you know 
also it's just going to fulfill all my sexual fantasies. Like that's another stereotype. And I feel that all of these stereotypes can be incredibly harmful for people who actually identify as mistresses. Um, One, as Ms. Jen pointed out, mistresses are not automatically pros. In fact, many of them are not. Um, Mistresses may or may not be interested in financial domination or fin-dom stuff. Um, Many mistresses are not cold, indifferent, aloof. Um, They're humans, believe it or not. Um, They may or may not be paired with men because, in fact, many people in the scene are queer or queer-friendly or open to dynamics with people of the same gender or of other genders regardless of who they're attracted to because DS does not have to be sexual and romantic. Um, Mistresses can be loving and soft and warm and kind, like – and they may or may not want – They may or may not want (laughs) sex from you. In fact, many of them don't. And many of them are not pleasure dispensers, but they're treated as if they are. And I feel like the reason there's so much pleasure disp- pleasure dispenser – oh, my God. Kink dispensers. Kink dispens- dispenser bullshit put on mistresses is because of this stereotype. Um, I mean, we've also already talked about how dominants have a lot of stereotypes that I feel overlap with all of the D-type identifiers. So, like, all of that also yeah, applies like to mistresses and masters. any gender – will come across some of these things regardless in yeah. terms of being a kink dispenser or feeling like they're expected to be a kink dispenser, you know, etc. Well, yeah. Also, like, I know of so many people who identify as mistresses who have been mistreated by S-types, submissive slaves, etc., who provide services or say they're interested in certain things, but they expect sex or some sort of gratification in return. Um, there's also an unrealistic beauty expectation or standard placed on people who identify as mistresses, I feel, Um, Under no circumstances are people in the scene always walking around in kink gear. Very few do. And many people who identify as mistresses just want to be in sweatpants and a t-shirt watching Netflix. Like, they're people. So this is some of the stuff for the stereotypes. And I also feel like people who take on the role of mistress, and they are in 24-7, they place even more pressure on themselves to be perfect. Because this title is a very, very serious title. Um, it is one that is often more associated with higher protocol or um, or TPE, total power exchange. And so I just hope that people who are listening to this who do identify as masters, mistresses, or dominants or any of the D-type identifiers do know you have a right to be human. You don't have to be perfect. And you don't owe people sex. And you don't owe people performative dominance or performative, like, mistressing. Um, mistressing. <laughs> moving on to slaves. So – this is another one where, like, all of the things we said about submissives, yes, but plus worse. Because people who identify as slaves, now we're really plus assuming worse. things about them. We're really having stereotypes of, like, oh, you don't care about your personhood. Like, oh, they've given away all agency. Yeah. And, all like, voice. I'm still deprogramming my own perceptions of this word because on top of that, this word is steeped in historical context that is very, very ugly and very, very brutal. Yeah. Um, One of the biggest differences in terms of getting away from the stereotype is that anybody, because we are all humans with rights, anybody can end a relationship or walk away, even if you identify as slave. Yeah. I mean, slaves have the same amount of agency as anybody else in a dynamic. Um, And I feel like also slavehood in terms of bdsm specifically one it's not real slavery because it's not being done against someone's will and it's really important to talk about that stereotype um it doesn't also inherently mean that somebody who identifies as a slave or a master in a dynamic like that or a mistress and slave it doesn't mean that those people don't care about the historical connotation or context um it simply means that they are applying it and are able or willing to compartmentalize it within BDSM. Um, it doesn't necessarily excuse them from having to engage in the discourse surrounding this, and there is a lot of discourse surrounding this title. Um, but yeah, slaves might actually resemble more submissives, um, depending on the dynamic. Like the word slave is basically an identifier that once again, there's no barrier for entry. So some people might see somebody and think they're a submissive, but actually they identify as a slave and vice versa. Maybe somebody will think somebody is a slave and they really identify as a submissive. Um, also, I would – the assumption or like the stereotype is that slaves are always in 24-7s, but perhaps they're not. It doesn't have to be 24-7. Um, and in fact, some people identify as slaves and they're in actual temporary dynamics as well. Like they're only a slave for a year and then they cease the contract. So like there's lots of things – about this identifier that are misunderstood. 
Um, the few people who identify as slaves that I have met often are leaders in their communities, often run support groups, and are often very vocal to fight these stereotypes and to kind of elucidate their experiences as slaves. Um, another thing, too, again, we mentioned it with the submissive stereotypes, but slaves are not inherently going to be people who don't care about their abilities or don't care about what they bring to the table. Slaves do not automatically have low opinions of themselves um in fact they usually are quite the opposite and typically if somebody is identifying as a slave it will be because they have earned that title within their dynamic and that's something that they're choosing based on the dynamic they're in i have heard phrases like slave heart or submissive heart um i don't use those phrases i don't go by them but some people really do feel um a personal connection with titles like that or with identities like that and that's okay um, it's very unique and very personal when someone identifies this way. So a lot of the stereotypes, again, are incredibly damaging and harmful. And I feel like everything we talk about with submissives gets amplified tenfold and put onto slave. Yeah. So the next two identifiers are Kajira and Kajiris. Um, Kajira is the female um, version. Kajiris is the male version. These words, if you've never heard them before, how could you possibly have stereotypes associated with them other than guessing like where they may have come from and assuming some sort of like culture attached to them? Um, Kajira and Kajiris come from the Gorian series, uh, which is also where a lot of high protocol comes from, Gorian high protocol. Um, and somebody who identifies as a Kajira or Kajiris, my biggest stereotype is that I assume they've read the Gorian series <laughs> and many of them have not um, because the Gorian way of doing this lifestyle is now so separate from the series. You can literally study how to do this in DS or BDSM and never touch the book series. Um, that's the first stereotype. The next one is that um, for me, when I hear people identifying this way, um, the first stereotype that I've had popped into my head is that they must be into positions. They must be into rope they must be into presentive present presentation or performative bdsm and also that they must be into 24 7 ds um if you do or if you are familiar with the gorian series it's a very problematic series in my opinion um it's very dehumanizing for everybody who's female um it's basically male dominated world and culture with very few exceptions the women are very sexually objectified um it's I find it to be an offensively written series. I think it's a fascinating reality that there has been a subculture of BDSM that was born from this series. But because I'm familiar with the series, I sometimes carry an assumption when I meet somebody who identifies this way that they endorse the series. And that's not a fair assumption to make. That's not a fair stereotype because the Gorian way of doing the BDSM lifestyle is a legitimate like subsection of this lifestyle it really is and anybody can have access to that and you don't have to endorse the books to enjoy it um so when you hear somebody identifying as a kajira or kajiris you should look into what that means for them and ask them about their training and ask them how they, why they identify that way and not make assumptions based on the series alone yeah do you have anything to say on that Ms. Jen? <laughs> no <laughs> it's not as common I didn't read it like you did so yeah i'll let you take the lead on that one it's not as common at least for me i have not commonly found people identifying as kazira and kazirises um and the few times that i have very rarely will a person also reference the series itself some people don't seem to know that this came from a book series they just were introduced to this lifestyle through that through that lens. So it is a really fascinating identifier. Moving on to bottoms. Um, this identifier to me has the least stereotypes because it literally has no um, attachments to it really. If you're bottoming, well, you're doing an action. If you are a bottom, you like to receive the action. That is the assumption made from the word I bottom. Mean, I guess you could say that a stereotype is that somebody who identify because i'm not i'm not going to speak to the adjectives like topping and bottoming is just yeah. saying what somebody's doing but like identifying as a bottom and even identifying as a top which i'm assuming is the next thing um some assumptions that can be made is that like that's it you or are only into play and oftentimes the reality is that those identifiers usually often go hand in hand with some of the identifiers we've already discussed. Another actual um, stereotype for someone who identifies as a bottom is that they are a submissive. 
And that's not the case. So it can be that's both. True. People yeah. keep people often hear bottom or top and like, oh, you lean that way. Oh, that's how you are in DS. Oh, that's the role that you are. Um, and so in that way, if somebody is assuming that and that stereotype is being applied, they may also just assume that you are a submissive and then all of the stereotypes we talked about from that would get applied to the bottom. Um, because oftentimes people will use these as their only identifier. If, if they are only interested in play, they're not wanting anybody to tell them what to do or to be in a power exchange dynamic. They just enjoy being on that end of the flogger rope, whatever. Yeah. So I think, you know, it, like with any of these things, it really comes down to actually talking to the person (laughs) to find out. But I think that's the assumption is that that's, if that's their only identifier, then like that's, that's all they're interested in. Um, Speaking to tops, because we are going to pair these two together because it makes sense to do so. From the top perspective, another additional stereotype I feel when someone identifies as a top is that they're inexperienced and new. Um, and they're like, oh, you're not identifying as anything else because you don't know what you're capable of or you don't know what you like or you're not skilled enough yet to identify as a dominant. And that's not actually true. Um, some people will identify as a top because they don't want to take on the expectations and the um, responsibilities yeah, of a dominant. They don't feel like that word resonates with them. Um, they're not offering a power exchange. They don't want to do that. And so they identify as a top. And that's a valid, like, ending identifier if that is what you are in the scene you don't need to do anything more um so that's another stereotype yeah Um, i i respect people who either are new or who feel like they still have more to do to get if their goal is to be identified as a dominant master mistress etc I really can appreciate somebody identifying as a top while they're on their journey as well. Yeah. I mean, basically the point is you're not being a top or a bottom doesn't necessarily indicate where somebody is in their journey. They may be at the end of their journey in terms of understanding who they are. They may be at the beginning. They're out of here. No, no. I mean, they just know they're a top and that's how they feel. That's the sound of the Lupercalia episode from fuck university. That's right. I said, fuck university fuck university is a really cool website that our friend ben um and i think sapphire run together it's a wonderful cool place to learn about kinky stuff and to hear some pretty rockin conversations i eden was so honored to be a part of a recent panel on lupercalia and werewolves in bdsm you heard me right lupercalia and werewolves in bdsm if you've never thought about how werewolves could possibly be a part of the bdsm community you really need to see this episode. Um, in it, we talk about uh, furries and werewolves, people who identify as monster fuckers. And we also discuss the actual festival of Lupercalia, which just passed on uh, February 15th. So if you're curious about these things, if you identify as a werewolf, or if you just want to know what the hell is going on with this, check out the Fuck University website to watch the entire video. Uh, and now, back to the regularly schedule. Oh, oh, oh. Back to the regularly scheduled show. The biggest stereotype I can think of for sadism is that they are evil, potentially on the psychopathy spectrum, um, and that they are going to cause you a crazy amount of pain during scenes. Um, Those are my big stereotypes. Or that that's the only way they can play. Yeah. And in reality, sadism is on a spectrum, um, and sadists are perfectly capable of respecting yellows, respecting reds and adjusting their play style and the heaviness of how they play to the bottom and to what the bottom wants. Hopefully. I've known some people who can't seem to make that adjustment, which I'm, I'm, I I don't really enjoy that. I I don't like, yeah, they can't adjust, Um, but whatever, as long as they're upfront about it. The other assumption (laughs) is that sadists need sadism in scenes to enjoy themselves. And that's not actually true. They may want it in many of their scenes, but sadists can have fun in scenes where there's not as much pain being used. And there's also other forms of sadism. Dad jokes are sadistic. <laughs> like there are things, or like also another one is that sadists are always very serious and aggressive well, and scary. Mental, yeah, like there can be mental yeah. and emotional sadism. Miss Jen is a happy sadist, and this is a term that is really common in BDSM that you obviously don't hear happy sadist in vanilla world. But a lot of sadists aren't mean or angry or vindictive. They're having a great time while they torture you. Um, <laughs> so there's just lots of different ways of being a sadist and a lot of different styles, a lot of different intensities of sadism and a lot of different um, feelings in the sadist when they're doing things. But most sadists I have found are 
quite delightful and happy about what they're doing and they might even giggle while they're doing it oh yeah like i find it very pleasurable not only to inflict consensual pain but like physical pain but to to know that you know somebody's brain is so scrambled they can't add two plus two or think of you know what word they're trying to come up with like that is also fantastic um so yeah like it's it comes in many forms and it doesn't just have to be about physical pain excellent um and i do giggle a lot when i play the next identifier is masochist so big thing with masochist the assumption is that masochists love all forms of pain. They're constantly seeking pain um, and that they're heavy masochists. Like there's this idea of like, oh, you're a masochist. What, you like to stub your toe? Oh, you're a masochist. Why are you complaining? Why are you crying right now? I thought that that was, oh, you're a masochist. What do you mean you don't want me to whip you? I thought you were a masochist. Like there's this assumption. There's different levels of masochism, just like there's different levels of sadism. And there's different types of pain. There is good pain. There is bad pain that... Yeah. Nobody likes. Every masochist varies. Each human varies in their interests. You should not assume that masochists always want pain in scenes. And again, like just like a sadist could have a scene for some sadists might be able to have scenes where no no pain is inflicted and they very much enjoy themselves. Some masochists could have scenes where no pain is inflicted and they could very much enjoy themselves. And there are emotional and psychological masochists. Yeah. So, um, yeah, masochists aren't automatically just like constantly seeking pain. And no, masochists aren't constantly running into coffee tables, stubbing their toes or like getting their hair pulled all the time because they constantly need it. Although hair pulling is really delightful. Um, Sadomasochists, I would just say the stereotype would be you're greedy. (laughs) Same thing with bisexuality or pansexuality. Uh, You're greedy. Switches, you're greedy. Um, I don't know if I want to even correct that stereotype, honestly. But no, no, no. Like sadomasochist, it's really interesting because I think for me at this point, it is actually accurate to call myself a sadomasochist because I do have elements of sadism and I do have elements of masochism. Um, I suspect that a lot of people in the scene, even though they might not identify themselves as sadomasochistic, are in some capacity sadomasochistic. Because even if you voyeuristically like watching somebody get hurt, that is a form of sadism. Well, and I could even say that I could identify that way. Like, you are, I, spent I mean, you do enjoy years yeah. as a bottom S type. Um, and there are certain things like I have, you know, my choice now is not so much to, to go into that realm. But there are certain things that I could still see bottoming for. Um, you know, I also know people who identify as sadomasochist, but they're maybe they're in the scene more sadist. But in other aspects, they're. They have a masochistic streak like getting tattoos or, you know what I mean? So it can, it can really speak to a variety of things. Um, so we've actually gone through. And by the way, I don't mean if you get tattoos, you're a masochist, but I'm talking about those who are like, yes, that feels great. This is, by the way, like one fourth of the Fat Life identifiers list. We're going to be doing a part two on this episode because holy shit, like I thought we'd have we have gotten through more in this time frame and we haven't um but we'll end on owner for today and then we'll actually go into some of the more unique identifiers um next time so when i hear the word owner my brain goes into lots of different stereotype zones um the first is that it's a pet player somebody who likes to work with pets um and also that they may be into objectification or like yeah, dehumanization. Um, well, and I, I not only think of the pet stuff, but then I also go into more of the owner-slave as, like, conflated with master-mistress yeah. stuff. Um, so owner is kind of cool because, obviously, it's a gender-neutral option for master-mistress. Although you can master apply... Master as well. Yeah, master is as well. But I'm saying, like, owner is, like, gender-neutral, like, fully gender-neutral. Like, owner has never had a gender associated with it, whereas master traditionally has been associated with male gender owner has has never been so many people may prefer owner because they're like i just really resonate with that or like maybe again like owner and property maybe owner and property are ways that people kind of work around their discomfort with the historical context of like master mistress and slave but um it's not automatically true that somebody who identifies as an owner is a pet player interested in working with human pets or any sort of pet um it's a really a less common term i feel the word just owner 
Um, usually somebody will be like, oh, that's my owner, but like within the context of a specific fetish. Um, I feel like it's a really valid identifier and one that probably is a bit misunderstood. Um, but you should not assume the type of fetish or the type of thing they're into based on that. You should ask if they're willing to share why they have that identifier. Maybe they just own a lot of tchotchkes. Maybe they do. They're a single Pringle. Yeah, they're a single Pringle, but they're an owner. (laughs) Um, I lied. I don't want to end on owner. I want to end on a word that we can all identify with, which is, of course, kinkster. Um, You mean kinkling isn't on there? Kinkling is not on there. (laughs) Um, You know, I assume... special for y'all. The word kinkster is a word that was, I feel, just like created by kinky people i never heard the word kinkster when i was in the vanilla world i heard bdsm or like a kinky person but kinkster is this really cute title for somebody who's in the scene and i feel like all of us are kinksters um unless you don't want to identify that way for some reason kinkster is an umbrella term for everybody who's into bdsm when i hear the word kinkster i assume and have the stereotype that they're into kink you know, and I feel like that stereotype is actually the least harmful one on this entire list because uh, yeah, it, it it I almost put kinkster as a more uh, experienced version of exploring because it's not role specific, it's not power exchange specific, it's not play specific. Like it's a very kind of general term. But it could also, unlike exploring, which usually the stereotype is that that's a new person, kinkster can be somebody who's very experienced but doesn't identify in those other boxes. Yeah. I mean, and bringing up exploring, since we might as well just throw that in here. (laughs) Sorry. um, No, it's okay. But like exploring, yeah. Exploring is often for somebody who's new, but it doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't have to be. The stereotype is that it's a new person, but for someone who's exploring, you might be halfway through your journey, well, I mean, you wouldn't know until you die. But, like, let's say, like, you're 20 years <laughs> in to kink and you used to identify as a submissive and now suddenly you're not sure and now you're exploring. Like, that's a valid thing to say. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, kinkster seems to be almost, like, when I hear kinkster, I think of, like, somebody who's, like, goes, like, who, like, really enjoys Comic-Con. Like, not like the kinksters do, but, like, it, it seems like you're part of the fandom. If you're a kinkster, you're part of the fandom of kink. That's kind of how I see that. I kind of, and maybe this is a stereotype, but I think, <clears throat> I think part of the stereotype is also that a kinkster is more of a, this is fun on the weekends kind of person. Yeah. And like, obviously that's not true. Like <laughs> people might identify as a kinkster and be like hardcore into the lifestyle. And they also might not want you to know about their fetishes. Maybe somebody's saying they're a kinkster because they are they're, deliberately. They want to be mysterious. Yeah. Or maybe they, maybe they're so into so much <laughs> that's stuff. probably not true. <laughs> Maybe they're so into so much stuff that they're like, I don't know which one to pick. I'm just going to say kinkster. Like, that's also very valid. So today we went over about 16 terms, roughly. I may have miscounted, but we did a lot of terms today, um, and we didn't even really scratch the surface. Um, Next time, we're going to go ahead and hit on some more of these terms. Um, But as you can hear, there are a lot of stereotypes floating around. We just access the ones that we're aware of because we've heard them, we've experienced them, or we've thought them ourselves because – We didn't know any better until we encountered people or encountered the scene. Um, Stereotypes can control how we see others and ourselves. It's important to understand stereotypes and to name them. Because once you have verbalized them or you have identified them, then you can deconstruct stereotypes. So the reason we wanted to do this today was because, again, our previous episode, we relied heavily on stereotypes and our impressions of roles to um, categorize. Playfully categorize. Yeah, to playfully categorize characters. I do want to advocate for and make sure it's clear that it's not okay to treat humans this way. It's okay for characters who are not real people, but you shouldn't be deciding who somebody is or what they should identify as for them. In real or life, what their identifier means. Yeah, in real life, people have the right to identify themselves however they want. Whether or not you agree with it, it's not your right to decide that for them. Um, Unless you're an 18-year-old master. Fight me. Miss Jen is really calling out the 18-year-old master. She's the, that's the one that she, she's going to go ahead and. Or mistress, whatever. Counteract everything I'm saying and she's going to go do that. Um, But yeah, so I just wanted to say, you do you. Um, These words are fluid and we, if there was an easy way to have a working definition for all of them, there'd be no conversation surrounding this. But there's a billion different, or not a billion. (laughs) There are many different, uh, uh, definitions of these words so and we're on part 100 of 
identifiers. Yeah. There's a billion. So um, join us next time for the conclusion of this topic. Um, And until then, we, of course, wanted to shout out our amazing team. Um, We could not be here and do what we do and be successful without the people who are helping us um, pull this off. I'm talking, of course, about Lena, Tussled, and Sid. Um, The lovely Lena basically helps us run and moderate our Discord. She is fantastic. She's always there when we need advice. Um, She's a very, very... uh, great supporter of the channel she was there when we were on youtube and she's here now when we're on um the podcast so we just really appreciate lena tussled is over here taking notes during meetings writing notes for the podcast offering support offering advice and helping us uh direct our content at this point tussled is fucking amazing and finally speaking of fucking amazing we have sid sid is the person who designed and built the discord like sid is the tech person behind everything that we do he is helping us build our website he's always on call if we need something and this guy this guy has been there and stepped up for us um and has always made time for us we really appreciate lena tussled and sid for being a part of our team um if you are interested in being called out during an episode uh, if you want your name to be mentioned plus like a ton of other shit if you are curious about the Patreon, check us out. K is for Kinky on Patreon. Yep. Um, and even if you can't support us financially, you can always leave a review and give us a rating because that will really, really boost our signal. Um, yeah, that's like huge. It's Leaving huge for us. It's huge as long as they're five stars. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate you. And until next time, be well, precious kinklings. Bye. Bye.